Carter. I'm Eloa. And I'm Erin. And if you don't know three black bitches who love true crime, you do now. This is the I Ain't a Killer podcast. Okay, y'all. We're back with another mini-sode. And this one is ridiculous. <laughs> it is. This episode so ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know why, but I also felt kind of triggered. Like, yes. not in a way that just, like, I can't really name it. Because mm-hmm. I've never been through anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it just felt like I was in danger when I was listening to it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So, it's, yeah. Yeah. When um, we just finished well, re-watching a little bit of the episode. And um, they have a lot of recordings of their phone calls mm-hmm. and when i was listening to it, i was like i feel like the stress of it like it's making me feel like he's doing that to me it was yeah it was yeah. triggering for sure so we're gonna, we're talking about the second episode of bad vegan fame fraud fugitives and the episode is called happily ever after which you know just spoiler it was it was not, it was not. <laughs> by any means <laughs> not happy at all um there we go. Okay, so um, we kind of open up the episode with like Sarma talking about how. Okay, let me just address this in the beginning. So Shane and Anthony are the same person. Some people refer to him as Shane. Some people refer to him as Anthony. Mm-hmm. At this point in the series, Sarma refers to him as Anthony. So I feel like we could probably just talk say his name is Anthony. Yeah. But um, so at this point in the beginning of the episode, Sarma is basically saying that she doesn't know what Anthony does. Like, she still doesn't know what his job is. Yeah. And that, like, for her protection, Anthony and his business partner needed access to, like, her email, bank accounts, everything, mm-hmm. to make sure it was all encrypted and safe from, like, <laughs> them, right? Which, bitch was, that shit was safe before I got with you. Right. The fuck? I know. I'm like, I don't know. I I have to hold myself back from, like, being like, Sarma girl, yeah. why didn't you, you yeah. know, like, I have to stop doing that because I understand that she was in a situation with an abusive person. Mm-hmm. But I mean, in hindsight and from the outside, there's so many fucking red flags. Yeah. yeah. At this point, she was brainwashed. Yeah. Very yeah, much she was so. deep, And she probably doubled down too, because by now, I think in the first episode, it was revealed she had already married him, right? Like, yeah. Married him mm-hmm. secret. So it's like, you don't want to be embarrassed and admit that you did this super fucked up thing. Right. You just kind of want to go along with it and try to make it right or try to get, like, your money back or whatever the fuck you got going on. Mm-hmm. And the bitch was not able to do that. I mean, they said it at the very end of the episode, but they asked her why did she asked for help. And she was like, who was I going to ask and what were they going to do? Mm-hmm. And it's like, right. that's real. <laughs> that's yeah. very real. It is real. Okay, so let's get into um, the meat of this. Anthony had started talking to Sarma about past lives. And he basically said that he believed that Leon, Sarma's dog, who she's obsessed with, was his dog in a past life. <laughs> What's so frustrating is that I don't disbelieve that these are things yeah. that cannot ha- aren't possible. Yeah, you know what I mean. But like when people take spiritual stuff and manipulate people with it, it's mm-hmm. almost fucked up. And I feel like it happens so often. And it's just like. 
Yeah, people use shit like that as game all right. the time. Yeah. But I really wish someone in her life had been like, now sleeping. No. no. Because they even named in the episode that Leon was like Sarma's true love. And he knew that mm-hmm. using her dog was like a way of manipulating her. Mm-hmm. And then for him to convince her that like, oh, Leon's also connected to me like through all these different lifetimes. Like she's like, oh, okay, I can trust you more than or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he also told her that he had been looking for her specifically throughout all of his lifetimes. And this was, he called her a TBH. No. See, when he said that shit, I was like, bitch, I'm alarmed. Like, I'm, I'm quaking in my boots. It's so weird. It is. TV, tiny blonde human. Because he's pictured himself as something like more than human, something beyond human. She was just this mere mortal. Yeah. And that's weird, nigga shit. That's yeah. very fucking weird. It is. Like, I didn't know white people had hoteps. <laughs> Damn, I never thought about it like that. I didn't know white people it's had hoteps. It's a hotep with this. Please. Is it a wicker? <laughs> oh, my oh, shit. God. Did you? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah I clicked off for a little bit. Okay, okay. we're back. <laughs> I was like, did I die? <laughs> Eventually, uh, Anthony promises her that if she follows his directions in this program, that he's going to make her and Leon, her dog, immortal, just like he is. And he refers to this immortality as happily ever after, which is the name of the episode. Girl, <laughs> send the funds. Ain't no happily ever after without no fucking funds. Since you got all this damn money, like, right? That's the only way uh, a nigga with money can talk to me about happiness, right? And when my bills are paid. Speaking of that, he con- tried to convince her that money wasn't an object. He had her wire him money to show that she was committed to him, and he used it as a way of like passing tests that he was giving to her. And she said he would repay money sometimes, but not all of it. In that whatever life he was promising her afterwards would be more way more enriching than whatever money she has and that the money doesn't matter. Yet every other day he's asking her for fucking money. Right. I got money, don't you worry about that. Let me hold some. Right. Right. <laughs> All in the same breath. You're weird. <laughs> You're extremely <laughs> weird. Um and then we kind of go like into Sarma's background and they say she's always kind of been more interested in like ethereal things. They say like at this time, raw vegans were kind of like, that was their thing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. They were more hippie. They believed in uh, eccentric things. and um, mysticism. Yeah. They showed pictures of her in high school, though. Them haircuts was fucking fly. Yeah, she no, they were fire. They were fire. I literally yeah. stepped out the room for like maybe 10 seconds. And I came back and I was like, who is this? Who's this white kid they're talking about? Who we right. talking about Sarma. Right. She looks so different and she looks so fucking good. She looks so good. She had this fire short haircut, bright green, mm-hmm. bright blue. It was just so cute. She was in like high school. Yeah. Which is dope. She looks really bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they just said she's always been quote unquote different and she never really even wanted to be normal. And she would keep to herself. She would read a lot of books and she expressed herself through her hair, I guess. Um 
And he took advantage of that. Yeah, hundred percent. He targeted her because yeah, she wanted to be different. She was introverted and mm-hmm. shit like that. So it was way easier for him to isolate her because she was already the black sheep, right? Which is so shitty. It is, and I'm like, I wonder. It's. I don't know. I'm like, I wonder if he targeted her in that way. Or if he goes around and makes like these mini connections with different people and then just like sticks with whoever he thinks he can manipulate. Yeah. yeah. Um, so at this point, Pure Food and Wine, her restaurant was like the top raw vegan restaurant in the world. And they showed like a lot of news coverage. And she had opened up this place called One Lucky Duck, which was like a takeaway spot of like takeaway foods from Pure Food and Wine. And, um, the one lucky duck was like selling stuff in 30 different food stores. Basically she was killing it. Like mm-hmm. she was just doing the thing. She was getting a lot of requests to open a pure food and wine and a one lucky duck in other countries in Japan. And like, I think she said Istanbul or something. Mm-hmm. The company was at this point grossing like $7 million in sales per year. And it was operating in like profitable way, which is hard as shit for a restaurant. Yeah. And finally, I mean, she still, she went into it with all of that debt, a couple mm-hmm. million dollars of debt. And like, she's finally doing well, getting the coverage, getting the notoriety. Like, yeah, most definitely. She, and that shit could have been lit when I saw the like, cause they had a chart and it was like, cause she didn't want it to lose that, that whole grassroots, like mom and pop feel. She wanted it to stay, you know, close to, you know, down to earth mm-hmm. or whatever. And so she had this chart and it was like, okay, Sama is the, you know, head of, you know, operations or whatever. And we're going to have a pure food and wine in Japan. We're going to have one in like, you know, one lucky duck opening somewhere else in America or whatever. And I was like, that shit looks so fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Like she could have been jet setting like around the world. And people to really go believe in her vision. Right. To go open up these stores. Like that shit really could have been cool. But Maybe. behind every woman who fails is a man. <laughs> Yeah, I said it. I said it. <laughs> I agree. Which I don't do not date me. I don't, I don't care about y'all. <laughs> Happy Friday. Happy Friday. <laughs> right. Yeah, I hear But yeah. So in uh, 2012, she was in the best place she had been in her business. Um, they said like the balance of the business was $600,000 and she was able to pay off um, $100,000 to her like to the Jeffrey guy. I don't remember his role. Like a partner. He was like a partner investor. Yeah, he was yeah. literally just a bankroller. Yeah, and he was kind of giving her leeway because she was struggling at first, and now she was able to pay him something. She really felt good about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she started to go into like how their relationship was after Sarma and Anthony had gotten married. She said nothing really changed, and Anthony was traveling a lot, and he would kind of stay at her apartments on the weekends, and it kind of became weird because the one lucky duck business, the office that they had was in her apartment. So Anthony would just be at the apartment while they're like working Mm -hmm. and her employees were uncomfortable. They're like, why is this man sitting on your couch watching TV all day? Like we're trying to work. Mm -hmm. Um, Then they would say that Anthony would like come to the restaurant. Like he owned the place. Mm -hmm. He would kind of be trying to like tell the employees what to do. And they were confused because they're like, who is this person? And like, you don't have any experience. So even if, even if you were going to try to come in as like a boss, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Exactly. <laughs> there was no formal, like, it wasn't a newsletter. Like, exactly. who are you? No meetings, your role? no lineups. Right. Nothing. Nothing. 
Didn't even have a background in restaurants. So what's going on? And oh. do I have to answer to you? I would have been like, so I'm almost up. Do I really have to answer to this man? Like, yeah. Please clear, clear right. that for me. Yeah, since y'all so close, you really should have stepped to her and been like, what the fuck is this? Right. <laughs> what's going on? Because I definitely would have. I mean, I, I, especially at a restaurant, because I don't be giving a fuck. Mm-hmm. But Most when I work in restaurants, I'd be like, I'm not answering to just any and everybody. Like, yeah. you gotta, I gotta know that you actually are boss. And then still, it's gonna be sometimes. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because that's literally how it works at every restaurant. Yeah. At, at restaurants that are lower end than Pure Food and Wine. So, yeah. Right. And y'all are a family, y'all are tight-knit or whatever, and you mm-hmm. work closely with her. Actually, yeah, most definitely should have said to her and be like, what the fuck is going on? I'm gonna see this woman. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, and then I'm wondering if they, like, even kind of, like, came to her, like, as concerned friends because they even mm-hmm. stated like she was becoming more and more introverted and they just didn't really recognize her as a person so i, I mean maybe they did i couldn't really tell from their interviews but yeah. they clearly didn't like this man and like y'all said <laughs> they should have said something or they start talking about blue shirt red shirts so yes what was that and they said it so quickly and in passing but it was almost given like the matrix like red pill yeah blue. yes literally and, and sama was saying that like anthony could tell who was a good person and who wasn't a good person. And then, like, it was funny because they talked about that, like, right after that one server was like, yeah, when he came in, I just avoided him because I felt like it was a bad vibe, which yeah. I totally yeah, no. Same. But, like, I feel like, you know, Anthony would turn around and project that onto the people he didn't like. So probably the people who weren't answering to him were whichever one of the bad ones, the red shirt or the blue shirt. Mm-hmm. So he's having these conversations with Sama, like, yeah, uh, this person's a red shirt and this person's a blue shirt. And, like, further distancing her from her folks. Right. And they're probably feeling less and less comfortable coming into her one-on-one because they don't know, like, if I talk bad about Anthony or if I ask a question, like, what does that mean for me and my job? Right. Yeah. And I'm like, what gives you this expertise? So you, you're a spy. You work for Black Ops. <laughs> mm-hmm. You, you going into random corner stores and coming out with loose diamonds. You, uh, you doing manager operations now? Oh, and then he walked in there and was like, oh, uh, I need these employee files or whatever. Oh, yeah. Right. He just dipped off with them. You, we need to know the names and the direct deposit accounts for, and social security numbers for all of these employees for fuck what? Yeah. yeah. You work for Black Ops, just look it up on your spy computer. Hack into the mainframe. <laughs> the mainframe. Kim Hotspur. do 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 The big boop bop. Like, I don't know. These niggas are just like, it's coming apart now. Like, right. your is coming it apart is. at this point. And it's, it's mainly because you're doing too much. Like, I felt like mm-hmm. if, I mean, not that I want to give him any, like, pointers on how to, <laughs> right. how to manipulate that better. Scan. But, right. like, calm down. Like, right. you're doing too much. Right. Um, because she was already into it. She already believed you. So why are right. you adding more onto the story? Right. <sighs> Annoying. So Anthony continued to ask Sarma for big, big sums of money and she was starting to get frustrated because she was like, oh, I could be using this money for my business or to pay people or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he would also just disappear and she wouldn't be able to hear from him and she would be like hitting up his business partners like, where is he? I haven't heard from him and they wouldn't know. Um, Sarma said that Anthony would know what she was doing and who she was talking to and where she was. Which was so fucking creepy. That's terrifying. Because, like, that part wasn't just in her head. Like, they told an anecdote when she was in that restaurant. Right. And he called the house phone in the restaurant and asked for her. Yeah, no. At that point, I would say, like, you have bugs in my house. You got my computer, my phone cloned. I can't fuck with you no more. Yeah. That's that's literally the only explanation. She's in L.A. Like, 
That's so fucking creepy. She's based in New York. She goes all the way across the country, goes out to eat, and he knows exactly where she is. No. no. I, I would feel so, like, sick and, like, gross. Yeah. That's literally abuse. Yeah. He also tried to convince her that nothing was real and that, like, her debts and all of her issues would just magically appear when she, like, gets to this new plane or whatever he's trying to help her get to. The happily ever after. The happily ever after. So he was trying to, like, basically diminish any worries that she had about money or anything he'd be like that's that's not an issue it's not an issue now wire me ten thousand dollars it doesn't add up literally if money is an issue then why you walk right so desperately if nothing is real why is this very real money coming out of my real account and going into your real pocket right and i never get to see it again because it's just sitting up on some shelf yeah now this is confusing do y'all understand this house stuff that he was talking about I really don't. What was up with that? He talked in so many circles. It was so confusing. Like the family, the family house in California. That's a yeah. supposed yeah. family house. Yeah. Also, just the way he'd be talking about his brother, like he's like some kind of scary mob boss or enforcer. Or like, but I'm like, is it even a real person? Right. Or is it just somebody he's trying to use as like a scare tactic? Right. On her. Because he would also say, if you don't wire me money, they're going to get me. They're going to kill me. Who was who that? Who? Right. But you're, you said that your brother could pay off my debts. So why are you not calling your brother? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you don't want that. What? No, I absolutely why? want that. Why don't I want that? Is your brother a bad person? And if so, then why the fuck do you keep bringing him up when we talk about these debts and the family and this house and shit like that? I have a billion questions and zero answers. Yeah, I don't know. It just sounds like some brainwashing cult shit. It really does. And it's very easy to do that when somebody already kind of believes in like that whole mysticism and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's just interesting because it's, it's similar and different. From a lot of the cult like tactics that we know of, like mm-hmm. one of the main ones is isolation. Mm-hmm. Like take these people away from their loved ones that can talk them out of this. He didn't necessarily do that. I mean, he was kind of like isolating her a little bit, but she was still very much doing like it running her business. People, yeah. yeah. So it's just interesting that like even without being alone, like he was still able to able to manipulate her in that way. Well, I think when we think about alone, when it comes to abuse, it looks different ways, right? Mm-hmm. Like, she may not have been physically alone, but he was isolating her, especially, like, on a mental level, because she couldn't have these conversations with other people. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, she didn't have the space to, and I'm sure... What is going on? I don't know, but I don't like it. I don't either. I'm it scared. Might be, it might be this. I might, I might have moved my foot too much. Okay. okay. Um, but she wouldn't have felt comfortable, like, yeah, just bringing those things up to people or, like, leaving them with other people. He has her convinced that, like, they're always in danger. She can't have certain conversations on the phone. Mm-hmm. They're always being watched. Right. She can't talk about whatever it is that he does or doesn't do for a living. So, like, he is still isolating her. That's true. And, like, it, it, yes, there's a culty element to it because of the mysticism, but honestly, it's just te- textbook abuse. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. That's yeah. true. I mean, I'm not going to go into detail because I don't want to go too far off the rails, but I kind of went through, like, something similar with my mom. Like, she has bipolar disorder. And so she would say, like, certain... She would say, like, a lot of weird shit, like, certain people were, like, watching us and we needed to be by ourselves and we needed to, like, distance ourselves from so-and-so and stuff like that. After a while, that shit just becomes so normal. You would be surprised what you can convince somebody is normal. Mm-hmm. Like, there's... there's And there was, like, a period of time where I literally just used to... Cause, she didn't have to like close me off in the house anymore, close me off in my room anymore. It was just, I would just go straight to my room. It was just, that's mm-hmm. just how I lived life. Yeah. So I think that like 
once, like she said, like she said, this weird thing made this other weird thing look normal. Mm-hmm. And then that got weirder and it made that other weirder thing look normal. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like that. I think it's just like, you're so used to it and you're so engulfed in it. And like Carter said, like, yeah, she's mentally alone. She's not talking to her coworkers. She's not talking to her friends or her family. She don't have no side niggas. Like, she not. She really shouldn't have. She shouldn't have she side niggas. Alec Baldwin, where are you at? If I looked like that bitch, no. It's it's right. in at least three boyfriends. Like, right. you know what I mean? And you got to talk to them about your problems so they can tell you that shit isn't normal. Well, she but, does kind of have. Well, I mean, we'll get to that in a second. But, right. yeah, she does kind of have somebody that's opening her eyes a little bit, I think. Yeah. So, um, he would he would tell her that everything was being watched and, like, she would pack up all of her stuff and he would take her to somewhere quote unquote safe. And he like got her to stop living in her apartment. Basically like she was living in hotels and things like that. And this one employee that worked for, what is that? Um, yeah. Lucky Doug, um, was working out of her apartment because that was the office. And he said that he was the only one there because Sarma (laughs) refused to come to the apartment. And one day he came in and like, there was like a hole in a cabinet or it looked like somebody had like some physical altercation had happened. And there was like some red stuff on the floor that looked like blood. And when he brought it to Sarma, she kind of just diminished it and made it seem like it wasn't a big deal. And also by this time, Anthony is like not allowing her to stay at the apartment. Like whenever they are traveling, they're staying in hotels, which makes sense. But even when they're in New York, which is where they are based, he has them in a hotel, which is just strange. It is weird. Maybe that is, like, him starting to physically isolate her from people. So then we learn about a meat suit, which had a lot of people laughing. Oh. (laughs) It's just so strange. Gross. Yeah. I'm sorry. Homegirl, she was like, what, Lady Gaga's meat suit? What is the meat suit? What is the meat? Oh, Oh, no. Right. Come on. I just love that she was just like, like, (laughs) like, what the fuck? Right. I've heard people describe being a human as wearing a meat suit before, Mm -hmm. like as a joke. Like, yeah, we're just, you know, on this prison. Yeah. Yeah. We're flying on this. We're monkeys on this rock flowing through space and wearing these meat suits, you know, stuff like that. I'm like, somebody seriously describing themselves like that? I'm like, okay. That's interesting. I'm going to bring my electricity meatball. (laughs) (laughs) That's cute. (laughs) And still in it. So I guess Anthony had started like gaining weight over time and he's, he presented it as an intentional thing. And this meat suit was a part of the process that he was putting Sarma through. Mm-hmm. Like her, was it like her dedication to him? Yeah. It was like, like a test. Like earning, I guess, enlightenment. <sighs> like if I get yeah. super fat and you still love me, then then it's real. Then you it's deserve like, enlightenment. Do you think that I want to look like this? Do you think that I want to carry around this meat suit? I need it fixed. But this is part of what you have to go through. I think she's been through enough. I think you've tested her enough. She didn't get you all <laughs> the money. You're testing her with fat phobia? Like, come right. on. No. You're protecting your insecurities. One, there's nothing wrong with being fat. Two, how is this a test? What are you testing me on? Right. Have you never heard of Big Nigga Summer? Like, <laughs> no, it's a Big Nigga Winter. What's that? Please. Um, it's a show. I forget what it's called. Uh, Harlem. She's like, it's Big Nigga Season. Like, I'm trying to find me one. Like, that was a cute show. So, what are you doing? Like, uh, it's just. Yeah. Very weird. It's very gross and very fucking weird. (laughs) So now we kind of get introduced to Nazim and they call him Naz. And I guess at this point she was, he was the only person that Sarma felt that she could open up to. Mm -hmm. And Naz had met them both in 2013 when he was a bartender on the same street that they lived on. 
And Anthony would frequent that bar and he like was telling Nas all of those outlandish stories. He's ex-military. He would show him war wounds and whatnot so that he was burying treasures and shit when he was in the war. He was wearing like rollies and whatnot. <laughs> Not rollies. So um, he came to Nas with an opportunity to open a juice bar and uh, Nas gave him his first investment of $30,000 and he gave it right to Anthony. Yeah, no contracts, no paperwork, no nothing. <sighs> My thing is, y'all be... Y'all got so much fucking money for me, first of all. Right. To, give, to be able to give somebody 35000 off rent. With no paperwork? The no fuck? verbal contract, no text message, nothing. Yeah, no. Nah. Just, oh yeah, here you go. We are going through the bank. We are getting documents notarized. My attorney's going to be there with us. Like, yeah. you know, I'm going to give you $35,000 just in an envelope. Isn't that what happened with um the other nigga in uh, Worst Roommate Ever? What's his name? Ivan? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Joseph. Oh, mm-hmm. he had a cool name. I forgot what it was. Take that. But anyway. Yeah, they just was like, oh, yeah, we're going to do real estate. Here's $20,000. Yeah. Like, wh- where are y'all getting these funds from? Right. Why could we y'all made up money? I'm sorry. That shit ain't real. That shit is not real. 35000 to just be able to hand off. To hand they just be pulling shit out the Monopoly bank and be like, here you go. Because ain't no way you just had that on you. Yeah. And they, I mean, at least in this episode, they didn't really say whatever happened to that money. No. Mm-hmm. All right, y'all. We'll be right back after we pay some bills. Are you a huge cunt? Us too. Wait, can we even say cunt? Of course. It's empowering these days. Cunt, 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 cunt. I'm Ange Ballastone, a.k.a. the drag queen, Fat Girl Gina. And I'm Mike Fails, just a normal gay guy, I guess. And we're the hosts of The Big Cunty Couch, a gorgeous new talk show podcast where we invite queers and peers to sit, bitch, and be fierce on a huge-ass couch while we gab about all things gay. So come get cozy and cunty with us. We're pan for platforms, so find us anywhere online and get listening, sweetie. Or watching. Or both. Otherwise, why the hell am I in full drag? And we'll see you on the big... Cu- oh, wait. I thought we were going to say that together. No. On the big cutty couch. Mwah. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now we're like... This is the part where I felt like I was kind of being triggered a little bit. Because we're getting a lot of recorded conversations between Anthony and Sarma. Mm-hmm. We were getting them all throughout the series, but this was like intense. And basically he's yelling at her, cursing her out, and telling her what she's going to do with her things and mm-hmm. when she's going to do it. And he basically says, you know, like, if I ask you to send a, send me a wire tomorrow, you're going to send me a wire tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And she's pushing back a little bit, but he is very forceful and scary but like yeah. just a very little bit she's pushing back she's just like no i'm not gonna do it and he's like well you're turning on me you're mm-hmm. threatening me and you're doing all this blah, blah, blah. and it's like and then he turns around well i love you sarma and right if i did anything to hurt you i'm sorry like maybe i'm talking too much like a general <laughs> right i'm handling it too much like a soldier right literally I'm like, no, no. you're handling this shit like a fucking man doing that whole like oh so you gonna leave me too you knew what it was from the beginning right, right? literally that Literally that. What? And I thought it was gonna stop. What you mean? <laughs> it reminds me of when we were watching what was it? Uh, not Love Is Blind. That other show when he kept calling her resilient, and you were like, Oh, oh my god! Um, um, it, it was like it wasn't the ultimatum. It was like uh, one of them damn. Yeah, shows. one of them damn shows. There's so many of them. That's all he had to say about her. She's so resilient. She's she's so resilient. What you gonna do to her? Love is blind. Oh my god! I forgot about that. <laughs> What do you love about her? She, you just so strong. You just so resilient. You just, you just, you know, put up with anything to happen to you. Like, yeah, nah, that's a red flag. What are the plans? <laughs> right. But it's so funny 
you said the thing about, I hate how much we have in common because it really be like sad, traumatic ass shit. But like the phone calls me thinking about my mom because like when, specifically when he was like going back and forth between like being really hard and really mean and like then trying to like smooth things over. But then he also said like, who who's listening? Who's listening to this? Like you got somebody over there? Like mm-hmm. who you got somebody in your yeah. ear? Yeah. That's something my mom would do, especially when I would try to like hold her accountable to like something she had done. She'd be like, oh, well, who, who are you trying to put this to? Are you recording this to put this somewhere? Are you trying to like basically make her a little bit? But that, I feel like that's like a a key like thing for like... It's a tactic. Like, yeah. It's a tactic. It's like you have people who deal with mental illness and they be- behave badly because like there are things going on. And that doesn't mean they shouldn't be held accountable. But there's a distinct difference between you you know you're doing something fucked up mm-hmm. because you're worried about who else is overhearing it. And you're like, mm-hmm. do I need to change my behavior to perform? Yeah. So it's like he's worried about whether or not someone else is overhearing this conversation because he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, that shit is really scary. Like, no, And it's that. similar because because I guess like Sarma had been attending some meetings. I don't know what the meetings were about. Were they like for this group or something either way she brought Nas with her mm-hmm. and she told anthony about it and he's like no Nas mm-hmm. can't come and i feel right. like it's similar to what you're saying like he's like i don't want somebody else witnessing this stuff and potentially telling you that, that it doesn't make up. any sense yeah. so he doesn't want her to have a relationship with this person that he kind of brought into their life uh-huh. but Nas was very specific when he said that all the bullshit that anthony was spitting he did not believe any of it yeah. mm-hmm. it can work on him mm-hmm. yeah and he convinced sarma to start recording her conversations with anthony and i think that's where all of these recorded conversations were coming from yeah it was very scary and even at one point you know, Sarma was really paranoid about having recorded the conversations and asked Nas to delete them. But I mean, thank God he didn't. Yeah. Because he was like, yeah. you know, I mean, he told her he would, which, you know, we could talk about whether or not that was the right thing to do, like to tell her that he would and did not do it. But I'm so glad he did it. Yeah. Because yeah. like nobody would have believed her. Mm-mm. I really think when it comes to abuse, sometimes the like the thing that isn't ethical is like the right thing for that moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And it and that's like a really a like morally gray kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like, had he not saved those phone calls, nobody ever would have known how like terrible he used to talk to her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he violated her consent most definitely. But actually, it's it's technically his consent, like Anthony's consent to you know be recorded, that's being violated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad that he went ahead and stepped across that boundary because oh my god yeah it was, scary as fuck. It was for sure mm-hmm. i mean the tone of his voice the way he would switch gears it was all really intense yeah much so so mm-hmm. at at this point sarma is telling the audience in her interview she was saying that at the point that she was with anthony acknowledging that he's like a con artist and like a piece of shit and everything that he's doing is wrong would be like her accepting a loss and basically giving up on this like dream happily ever after life that he always dangled in front of her Mm -hmm. so she said that was kind of like what was holding her back from fully like recognizing the situation that she was in and then we get some on-screen text and it says that between 2012 and 2014 Sarma sent Anthony $1.7 million. That one was the thing that took me out. That was like the end for me because she owed $2 million to the right. guy. Right. So had she been sending those payments to the guy, she wouldn't have owed nothing. She like, would have almost had her business. Yeah. Which is so... 
And she got nothing out of sending Anthony that money. Yeah. All he did was threaten her, and then she sent it, and then and she's she never wasn't getting no houses, cars, clothes. Nothing. Just fear. And I think this one, this one is different from, you know, Tinder Swindler, because it's like, I mean, we can still talk about how, like, it was super fucked up that that happened to them, but they was pulling money out. They asked. Like, they was pulling money out of, like, savings, um, getting loans and shit, mm-hmm. but like she worked for that. That was her idea. She went to school. She mm-hmm. had this whole vision. She started it with another nigga, like mm-hmm. before she even met him. So it's just like all these different layers that's added onto it, and it's just like, damn, she didn't get shit out of it. It's something she truly like cared about and was invested in. Right. That's the part that's heartbreaking for me. It's like whether or not it was profitable didn't seem to make that much of a difference to her. To be honest, mm-hmm. as long as she could still do it. It seemed like she, that was enough for her. Yeah. I mean, she went to two million dollars in debt just to just have it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's kind of where the episode ends. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. I'm anxious to see what the fuck they're gonna show next week. Mm-hmm. I know we have two more episodes, so I'm curious. I I don't know this story. Yeah, me either. So I don't know how it ends up. Yeah, I never even heard about it until this, so I'm yeah. I'm anxious and kind of excited. Yeah. And I know we haven't seen Anthony do an interview, so. All right, he never will. <laughs> Listen, when they opened up, he said, "Oh, Netflix got it. <laughs> oh, they the fucking, <laughs> they the fucking guys. <laughs> they can get have everybody on my head. They can get me. <laughs> I'm surprised the tennis school is still out here jigging up fucking right Instagram and shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Side note, um, Nazim Nas is a cool ass name. I love that. It name. is that also, is such a fucking cool name. I hate to admit it, but he got a little swag on him. Listen. <laughs> Talk to y'all next episode. See you. Bye. Bye.